Kefra Jemian, and you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Our guest this week is Mallory Skinner, a musician, speech-language pathologist, and the author of Julie Bean. Mal, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Before we dig in, we'd like to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where we're recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities of that area. So Mal, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, I'm excited. My first podcast recording ever. So uh, I'm glad that you guys were my first. Oh my God, it's an honor. And Mal is here today to talk with us about food and chronic illness. Mal, can you just talk to me a little bit about your your experience? Where does this interest come from for you? Yeah, so I am not a person who has been, you know, a chronically ill person for my entire life. It's been kind of a recent development for me. And as someone who has always really liked food and, and food has been a really important part of my life, it's been interesting to kind of like reshape my relationship towards it and it's also been interesting navigating like online spaces where food and chronic illness are actually a really big topic. Um, there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's yeah, there's there's just a lot to it. So it's uh, it's something that I'm still kind of figuring out and still navigating. But yeah, there's there's lots that we could talk about, I think. So it depends on where we want to go. Absolutely. I'm really excited to be doing this interview with you as well, because this is also a topic that I have lived experience with. And mm. I think it'll be really fun to talk. And there's so much interesting intersection between food and health, but also like wellness culture and diet culture. And like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just excited to talk with you about it. Yeah, me too. Would you be willing to share a little bit of your story? Like you said, you're you're fairly new to this. Can you just like tell me a little bit more about what your story looks like, how you got to where you are? Yeah, so I have been chronically ill for how, well, however many years it's been since 2017. I can't do mental math, but... Five. Five, five. okay, five years, <laughs> that's the number. <laughs> so when I had just graduated from my bachelor's degree, I was still a very healthy person and then all of a sudden I started experiencing a lot of really scary like digestive symptoms. I don't want to get too much into it because this is a food podcast. <laughs> um, but basically that led me to having to get a pretty urgent colonoscopy done. Um, I've had five of them done now, I think, I think five. And they basically diagnosed me with something called ulcerative colitis, mm -hmm. which is a pretty gnarly disease with a really sexy name. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I've just been basically learning how to manage that for the last five years. Mm -hmm. And that has involved a little bit of diet tweaking, a little bit of experimentation. My diet has also changed a lot over the past five years, depending on how active my disease is mm -hmm. so that's been a really uh, yeah it, it's been a journey it's been a time 
luckily I am in a place right now where I'm pretty healthy. That's always going to be a really relative term for me, but I'm pretty asymptomatic right now, which is awesome. Yeah. And it means that I can eat a lot of what I like to eat and I don't have a lot of restrictions. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I'm really enjoying and it's nice while it lasts. It's nice when I can figure out treatment enough to kind of be at a stable level. Yeah, absolutely. That is so great. I am glad that you are mostly asymptomatic. <laughs> I am so familiar with the like, sometimes like I find that sometimes because I also have like chronic illness that has flare periods and, mm -hmm. and dormant periods and I have like, I definitely have PCOS. I probably have endometriosis. Mm -hmm. um, and like it sometimes it makes me feel kind of crazy having the yeah. like there's a period where I'm like I have to be on a very restrictive diet or I feel like crap. And yeah. then there's a period like right now where I'm like I can just kind of eat things and it doesn't really matter and it can be really, really wild. But one thing I've kind of... Uh, Mm. I always have a little trouble talking like I, I never want to put like too much toxic positivity into the way I talk about illness you know because like like a lot of the time it sucks yeah but one of the things about like having restrictions is that it is an opportunity to get creative yeah and I do feel like like for me my first like big dietary restriction was when I was a teenager and I couldn't eat gluten which is kind of one of my main trigger foods when I'm in a flare and I do feel like I got into like a lot of Asian cuisine a lot of like Mexican and Indian cuisine that I probably wouldn't have because my family's Mediterranean and my food culture is mostly Mediterranean like and that. like that's kind of cool so like can you talk to me a little bit about like like what have been some of the places where you've like had to get creative or like how are some of the ways what are some of the ways that you f continue to find joy in food through that like let's say window of creativity <laughs> great way of thinking of it <laughs> maybe that's what I'll call flares now oh I'm just being oh, it's a window. right oh now <laughs> yeah so basically one of my main restrictions especially when I'm I'm really symptomatic is I can't have a lot of very fibrous foods mm -hmm. and this is a really interesting restriction because it's not one that most like you know health food nuts or like kind of those wellness culture people will tout you know mm -hmm. like, like you'll see people go low sugar or or you know like you were talking about low gluten like low dairy people really like fiber usually it's really yeah. seen as like a very healthy food and my body when it's it's under a state of a lot of inflammation uh doesn't like foods that are really scrapey basically mm. they're really mm -hmm. like tough foods so i went to a dietitian i want to say like four years ago or so and basically explained to me that you know there's all these foods that have a lot of fiber they're harder for the body to break down so you should really stick to these like simpler foods and you should have seen the list of foods that I wasn't supposed to eat. It was so long. It was like so many fruits, so many mm -hmm. vegetables, you know, whole grains, things like that, uh, nuts, seeds. And so much of the list was things that I really liked to eat. Mm -hmm. And it was really difficult. There were like two vegetables on there that I could still have. Uh, you know, so it was, a, it was really difficult. And, and, and I remember at first the diet that I had to follow, it felt like, you know, the, the, least quote-unquote healthy thing I could do you know I was eating all this white bread which I'd never grown up eating mm -hmm. uh, I was eating like you know canned fruit because that was the type of fruit that I could consume so at first it was a, a big learning curve I really yeah. I didn't enjoy it at all 
but one of the things that actually helped, so right around this time when I was following this diet, I met my partner, Alex, who mm -hmm. is a really, uh, an avid amateur chef, mm -hmm. I, would, I would call him. And he found out about this restriction that I was under and he was like, all right, I'm gonna take that as a challenge. And he went into Pinterest and made a board, I think it was called Mal's Meals. Oh my and God. I know, it was really cute. And, and it was filled with recipes that either followed the restrictions or were really easily adaptable. Mm -hmm. So it did lead us to to eat a little bit more creatively, like you said. And there were some meals that we still eat now that just happened to be like within that restriction. So yeah, there was there was a little bit of an exploration, I guess, into like foods coming from different cultures that I hadn't eaten before. Like, for example, I was okay with spices. And so there were a couple Indian meals that I was okay with eating. Um, we ate a lot of things over rice. We mm -hmm. ate a lot of things over like noodles and things like that. And I will say that I, I enjoy eating better when I am not under every one of these restrictions. Yeah. <laughs> like the fruits and vegetables thing really got to me. Yeah. I really wanted those fresh foods. But luckily, there wasn't a long time where I had to be under like the most restrictive mm -hmm. kind of form of the diet, I was able to like gradually introduce things back in. So mm -hmm. at this point, I feel like I don't have a lot of things that I can't eat, but I do find that I have to stop myself from having nuts and, and seeds and popcorn, which is very sad because I love, I love a good like salad with nuts on it. Mm -hmm. That's like a big thing. Or like, I love a seed, you mm -hmm. know, like a crunchy little snack. I, I do miss that. But yeah, I feel like I, I've i been able to see food a little bit less, like, for a while it just wasn't something that I was enjoying because I was just thinking about all the things that I couldn't have. But yeah. I think having, like, you know, an, an entire Pinterest board that was just full of things that I could eat and that I did find delicious was something that was really helpful. Something I often say when I talk about, like, having dietary limitations is that, like, I would much rather focus on foods that naturally do not have the thing I'm avoiding yes. than have like a fake food <laughs> like yeah. I don't like gluten-free bread gluten-free bread with the exception of I have one sister who is like a somehow a baking wizard and makes incredible gluten-free bread but she lives in Maine so it's not wow. like I can't like get it easily yeah. but like having gluten-free products that taste good takes that are like pretending to be glutinous products takes so much work yes and like I, I just like hit a point where I was like, no, I would just rather focus on rice heavy dishes. You know, I would rather focus on parts of the world where historically wheat production is not huge, which is not any of my background. <laughs> you've, you've got a lot of wheat in your so, history. All I have is wheat in my in my. I'm like, I don't understand how I ended up having gluten as a trigger food when all of my ancestors are like, what are what are you doing? All frowning down at you. Yeah. What have you done? Like we invented pasta for what? <laughs> One of the things that I would love to talk about that I think you mentioned was kind of the the culture that has kind of come up to surround food and mm -hmm. like chronic illness and yeah maybe some of the toxicity around that there's some not great messages I mm -hmm. think floating around about it mm -hmm. absolutely yes this is one of my favorite topics and I didn't I didn't want to thrust it upon you <laughs> You're like yes that's what she chose 
Um, this is one of my absolute favorite topics, which like listeners of the show, you know that this is something I talk about. Food and illness, right? There's such a big movement of people these days who will say like, you can cure anything based on how you eat. And now some of this is based in like ancient traditions like Ayurveda, which are like evidence-based through millennia of trial and error. Um, and some of these are like artificially invented to drive up the price of celery or something. And it can be kind of bonkers being a chronically ill person and navigating that. Because I know like when I first got diagnosed with PCOS, which wasn't all that long ago, um, my diagnosis was like, I don't know, a year and a half ago. The first thing I did, maybe, no, it was two years ago now. Wow, time flies by. Uh, The first thing I did was like, okay, how can I like address this? Because I can't take hormonal birth control, which is the first thing people prescribe for PCOS. So I was like, this is not an option for me. And so I started kind of looking into it. And like when you look up PCOS and like like quote unquote natural ways to like balance your hormones or whatever, oh, the things people say, it's like it is like don't eat gluten. Okay. And I was like, I can cut out gluten. I know that's been a trigger for me in the past with health problems. Yeah. That's no problem. But like gluten dairy, sugar, um, quote unquote, processed foods, which is a term we should dig into because it is a meaningless term that everybody I was just thinks. Say, they actually have a definition yeah, or yeah, meaning Yeah, yeah. Like they mean like anything in a wrapper, but you can get raisins in a wrapper and raisins are technically processed. And it's like, you know, oh, if you just eat a little date as a little snacky snack, um, you're never going to want to have chocolate again, which like I just I grew up only eating dates as a little snacky treat and I still love chocolate. Imagine that. But then it's so bonkers because like I did cut out gluten. I cut out like gluten and dairy for a month initially and cutting out gluten helped so much in that period. And cutting out dairy, thank God, did nothing. And I was able to start eating ice cream again. Oh, my goodness. I'm so, I'm so glad. I don't know how I dodged being lactose intolerant, but, like, I did. You've been <laughs> blessed. I've been blessed. Me and my lactate pills are best. <laughs> and then it's just so wild when part of it works, you know? Yeah. It was like, okay, that worked. But should I also be eliminating every bit of food that is convenient and joyful to me? Yeah. Will I get somehow like, quote unquote, more healthy? And I think that's such a trap because it's like you can get to a position where the thing you're doing is addressing your symptom. But then like because there's all this information, it's really hard not to be like, but if I did this, would I somehow be even better? And it's like I don't even have a specific symptom I'm addressing here. I just know that they're telling me that I should do this. I could do more. Theoretically, yeah. <laughs> I could do more. Yeah. 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 I feel like it's it's one of the trickiest and like thorniest topics, I feel like, because there is no one answer. And I think that's what people actually hate about it. And that's what mm-hmm. I hate about it. Too. Mm-hmm. I think that, first of all, people love to feel like they have control over over their bodies and their health. And I think that's why people cling to this idea that, well, if you just do everything right, you can be better. You can be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like I belong to a bunch of Facebook groups for, you know, my, all the different stuff I've got going on. And so frequently somebody is posting saying, 
Oh, good news. I've been symptom-free for 10 years with no meds because I've been following this diet or, you know, I've been cured because I did this. And the reality of that is, particularly for colitis, is there is literally no cure except for going into your body and removing the entire colon. There's no other way to to eliminate it. Mm -hmm. There's ways to to control it and there's ways to reduce symptoms, but there is no way to cure it. And, and it, that's really hard for people to take. So it's really common, especially for a digestive condition, people really wanna believe that they could fix it with diet. Mm -hmm. And that's a very tempting thing to fall into, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, it's, a, it's related to my eating. So obviously if I fix what I eat, therefore it'll fix, you know, what's going on. It's, it's a lot more complicated than that. So basically what I was told when I went to a dietitian is food will probably not actually affect your baseline level of inflammation in your body. The inflammation in your body is very, very, very difficult to control. Mm -hmm. And inflammation is like the, the beast of this disease. Like higher inflammation means higher disease. And you can't really fix it except with medication. That's mm -hmm. kind of that's kind of the crux of it. But food can influence how you feel mm -hmm. when you get that inflammation happening. So essentially why I was following the diet wasn't even to control the disease. It was to control how I felt mm -hmm. when I was, you know, going through those periods of disease. And I think that's an important distinction. Mm -hmm. I don't even think it's the case that food can never like influence disease itself. Mm -hmm. I think that it really depends on the condition. And I think there are some things like, you know, that you can do yourself that do actually improve your disease outcomes. I think the problem comes, first of all, when you feel like you're some sort of God who can like control all the different aspects of your life, like mm -hmm. just with your own hands. But I also think there's a problem with like making people feel guilty yeah. about not doing enough. And also just being so restrictive, like, like you said, you're not even enjoying yourself. Like, I don't know. I think like, you know, I feel better. I feel a little bit better when, for example, I eat less like fried foods and I eat more fresh things. And mm -hmm. that's something that I've noticed. And, and that's something that I try to adhere to. Am I, does that mean I'm never going to eat French fries again? Like, yeah. no, I love mm -hmm. French fries. I'm going to have them sometimes. Like, I think that there's no room for moderation in these discussions. And there's, I think the guilt is such a big factor. I, yeah. I, that's the one of the worst parts is feeling like, well, I ate really badly last week, so that's why I'm in this flare. And if I didn't want to be sick, then I should have done something different. And the reality is it's it's just not that simple. And that's already such an issue with chronic illness. Just this idea of like, because we can't give you a pill that fixes this, it's got to be your fault. Yeah. But I, th I feel like with like ulcerative colitis with the issue being largely inflammation that must get even more frustrating in circles because so much of the like fad wellness cults conversations around food talk about inflammation in a way that doesn't make any sense medically literally not at all like scientifically <laughs> the way people talk about inflammation is is nonsense it's absolute bullshit people don't understand it but they talk about it like they understand it and like, you know, I can eat all the turmeric I want. I'm mm -hmm. still going to have like, you know, inflammation in my body. And, you know, some it's tricky because some of the things people say have like this tiny kernel of truth, right? Like something yeah. like, like turmeric absolutely can have medicinal properties. Yeah. You know, there are things that it can benefit. But first of all, most of us don't consume it at a dose that is therapeutically like effective. Yeah. And also like it's just 
not going to do what you want it to do. Like, for example, with ulcerative colitis, yes, inflammation is the problem, but it's inflammation because the body is acting in like this autoimmune way. So unless you're treating the autoimmune like root cause, then like you're not actually treating it. You're just kind of masking things. So even if I were to eat like a thousand turmeric pills a day yeah. and somehow could figure out how to bring down my own inflammation, it still wouldn't fix it. So yeah, that that whole topic is super duper annoying because mm -hmm. I feel like people just don't get it. And I honestly feel for them because people really are trying to control so much that's outside of their control and it's just making them feel terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a break for the mid-roll. And when we come back, I want to talk more about this, this idea of moderation and balance and uh, the ways that that, I think, I'd like to talk a little more also about the idea of like guilt in chronic illness and this like heal yourself push because I think there's a lot there. Um, that can be discussed. So when we come back. <laughs> if you're enjoying the show so far, please make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, why not consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend? For every new rating and review we get during the month of December, we'll be donating $2 to The Depot, our local food bank here in NDG. Uh, this is the holiday season. It's a great time to give um, to uh, to to particularly like community focused food charities so uh the depot can turn every one dollar into three dollars worth of food for a family in need leaving a review is is easy it's free and you'll be functionally donating six dollars worth of food to people who need it so if that's something you want to do if you're feeling that holiday spirit leave us a review and we'll make a donation. You can read all about what The Depot is doing at the link in the description of this episode. Uh, we also have new merch, so click the link in our bio to check the merch out and maybe get yourself some swag or swag for the people you love. Before we get back into the show, I want to mention just briefly that going into the second half, we will be talking uh, about diet culture and disordered eating and things like that. So if that's triggering for you, you may want to take a step back from the second half of the show. One of the things that got me really excited about this show in the first place is this idea that we're talking about food in a morally neutral way. Uh, and one of the first episodes I did was the salad episode where I talked about how salad is like both unfairly praised and unfairly maligned um, and like maybe we should just consider salad to be like a food that you can enjoy or not um, and ideally I would like to see that attributed to like every food. I would agree. But when we're talking about particularly wellness culture uh, and when I say wellness culture, I'm really talking about the like mainstream, like quote unquote Western world version of wellness culture that sort of lifts things from other traditions. Because I want to make sure that I am not maligning medicinal food and the fact that many, many cultures have herbal and nutritious healing cultures that are effective <laughs> um, and they are they are you know medicinal practices that people study for years and get trained in and are are practitioners and it's very different from somebody's tiktok account where they talk about juicing um, <laughs> that's not katie on instagram <laughs> <laughs> 
So I am not talking about Ayurveda. I am not talking about traditional Chinese medicine. I am talking about the people who think that they know everything about Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine because they watch someone's YouTube video. But I know what I found, especially looking at like my my two main things are PCOS and endometriosis. So the conversation there tends to be very dominated by women. There aren't yeah. a whole lot of non-binary and trans mask folks talking about PCOS and endo. There are some, which is great, but um, and it tends to be very focused on fertility and on aesthetic. So it's extremely focused on losing weight and extremely focused on quote unquote preserving fertility which is a weird place to start in the first place for me as someone who really does not want to get pregnant again and doesn't necessarily want my body to change. One of the ways that people in wellness culture or diet culture talk about food is they'll talk about actual foods as poison. Yeah. So like they'll talk about gluten or sugar or like as we previously said, that mystery topic of processed food which I think we should maybe address what we mean when we say that very scathingly, but like, just like, that's just like a category people just use uh, to mean like anything that can make me feel like I'm doing the right thing. So when you're talking about managing symptoms or curing illness, depending on what language you use around it, uh, those are very different things. Um, And you're also talking about food as poison. That's a kind of discourse that puts the blame on the person. And like you see this all the time in this kind of media is people saying like, well, of course you have this health problem. You've been poisoning your body with sugar and processed food. So of course you're sick. And if you would just stop doing that, you will be completely well. And I mean, I think that kind of like, I feel like especially with you talking about how like your flair managing diet is really does not look like wellness culture's like magic bullet diet. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what does that look like in like, in like your experience? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I wanted to say, yeah, one of the things that really bugs me the most is the way people talk about exactly like you said, food is poison and the word toxic is so prevalent. It is one of my biggest pet peeves uh, because the way that people use it is not what it means Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. It's just not what it means. And people will, like you said, blame foods for everything. And you'll see it in like, you know, boomers on Facebook will be like, oh, kids these days are diagnosed with so many things. It's because of all the toxic chemicals that they consume. Oh, chemicals, that's Mm -hmm. another one Mm -hmm. people use, but you know, actually knowing what it means. You know, that's why, like, when I was a kid, we didn't eat any of this garbage, and that's why we're all healthier. Meanwhile, these people were definitely eating, like, Twinkies every day and, like, you know, drinking, <laughs> like, crap sodas. Like, like there's, you know, it's it's not even true, the things that, yeah. they, that they claim. But, yeah, I see that all the time, and it's, and it's really interesting because none of it is founded in anything, and yet people are so confident about it. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't let that part necessarily get to me just because like I've always been a very like skeptical person I've always Mm -hmm. been like very very science minded I was a science grad I always look at things like "Mm, does that make sense like 
the anatomy of it all and I know to like fact check it. So that part is like okay for me. The part that really bothers me is, yeah, like you said, the, the diet that I've had to follow in the past is not the one that is necessarily tied to what people consider healthy. Mm-hmm. And I think that our definition of like healthy versus unhealthy is is not a helpful distinction and is it, it just um, it, it wound up making me feel kind of shameful sometimes and mm-hmm. and kind of weird because I I would find myself thinking okay well the things that people say are healthy I know for a fact that if I ate that I would not be healthy I would be less healthy and so where does that leave me right it's like I I know I need to follow this but it's I know that other people are going to perceive it in in such and such a way so it did lead to some weird cognitive dissonance yeah and I don't know the solution to it you know besides people just calming down a little bit about like what other people eat I mean I guess that's what it all comes down to yeah this brings up this is like my favorite I could talk about this I could do a series on this like this is all I want to talk about all the time um (laughs) but it's like yeah like when I first was like trying to figure out all of my my initial chronic illness like cluster symptoms when I was a teenager I remember I did an allergy panel and it was like not just gluten which is like my kind of major one that when I'm having a flare I need to reduce but like tomatoes citrus like stuff like that that was just like part of what I ate all the time yeah. um, and is like quote unquote healthy right like citrus keeps you from getting scurvy it's great like sure. tomatoes have lysine they're good for you unless they're bad for you because <laughs> sometimes like it's so what I'm, I, what I'm getting at here is like it's so subjective like yes, it's so individual. Is subjective it's individual it's according to your particular body chemistry your particular history and yeah. for me the other chronic illness that I have is anorexia. And I've had that for my whole life. And it absolutely is part of the constellation of symptoms, right? Because sense. like anorexia affects your health. Yeah. So I had this very like interesting realization. Like this year, I'm 31 years old. I've had an eating disorder most of my life. I've like tried to go into recovery multiple times <laughs> with varying levels because it's another relapsing disease, right? Oh. But like this sudden realization of like, oh, maybe I need to just eat enough food. Maybe this would be like a significant thing. And I feel like when you get caught up in like wellness culture, heal yourself culture, yeah. it's so easy, especially if you're somebody who who has a restrictive personality, shall we say yeah. already. It's so easy to be like, oh, I should only be eating these like good foods right yeah and I think something that people do not realize like you don't realize this unless you or someone close to you has gone through eating disorder recovery or unless you listen to maintenance phase um is that like dieting restrictively can be so much worse for you than like literally anything else uh, unless you have like ulcerative colitis and you're eating a bunch of fiber and tearing up your intestines, obviously, like that is a different like. Yeah, don't do that. But like generally, when we're talking about sort of like vaguely the way people will talk about wellness culture, it's like, okay, maybe having celery juice every morning is a good thing for you because it's full of minerals or whatever. 
But if you're having celery juice every morning at the exclusion of everything else, <laughs> it is not actually making you healthy. <laughs> and it is not actually helping your body heal because your body requires nutrition to heal. And so this is just like, I know this is like off the topic of like your illness specifically, but it's something that drives me crazy in wellness circles because it'll be like all this stuff that is like super triggering and super encouraging people to not eat. Yeah. And it's like, if you have like pain, if you have fatigue, if you're lacking energy, like eat some food. Eat a food. Eat a food. I, I, and like, honestly, like. Yeah, eat something that is high in caloric value because you probably just need more calories. Yep. (laughs) 100%. Yeah. We, I think, honestly, like, I don't want to make a big sweeping statement about all people, but I think in general, we're really bad at, like, knowing what we need to eat and how, Mm -hmm. like, how often. And I, I think we, we're so focused on, like, being so mental about it and thinking like you know well I have to eat this and, and not eat this and I, I have to have a little bit of this and I have a, I have to a lot of that that I, I think that we're we don't even really read our bodies for what they yeah. need right like we don't think about okay well I'm feeling this way so that probably means I need more more sugar or mm-hmm. like I want to be full for a while we don't think about needing protein necessarily and I think it's it's really thinking about foods as good or bad is is so useless because our body needs all sorts of food yeah like it just at a biological level it's it's something that we need and and we've just yeah over over intellectualized it Mm -hmm. and and made ourselves feel horrible about it Mm -hmm. for something that is just a necessity and also a pleasure yes like like I was going to say we don't do this with sex, but we absolutely also do this with sex. Um, <laughs> maybe the, like, p- puritanical culture and food should yeah. be another episode. Oh, that's a, that's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> but, yeah, it's I've talked about intuitive eating on the show before because intuitive eating has been extremely helpful for me in my recovery. Yeah, I'm trying to get more into it, too. It, it can be very tricky if you have a history of disordered eating because – or actually – I have found a history of chronic pain because when you get used to dulling your pain receptor, you can also get used to dulling your hunger oh, instinct. That and makes it, a lot of sense, it can actually. be really hard to recognize hunger. So like it takes some time. Yeah. Again, I could talk about this for a whole series, but like I'm going back to thinking about like, like symptom management with diet is also kind of intuitive eating just with a little help right yeah like it's it's also like oh this makes me feel bad and this makes me feel good yeah and or like better (laughs) like well yeah exactly yeah yeah. and that I feel it comes back to what we were saying about it being so individual right like what what we're supposed to eat is not it shouldn't be from like you know a specific list like when my dietitian gave me that list you know so many years ago it was it was a suggestion, but mm-hmm. I found over time that I could tweak that, right? And I knew, you know, this is what makes me feel good. This is what makes me feel not so good. And I think that's what it comes down to is like we have to both use our bodies and our brains to be like, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to my body. I'm gonna see what feels good, but I also can can add my own you know thoughts to that, yeah. and I can make decisions based on that, mm-hmm. like. 
and I, you know, I have the freedom to do what I want to with, with yeah. food. I'm sure that you have done this before, but I've definitely eaten foods on purpose that I know are maybe not the best for me, but that's my own choice, right? Yeah. Like sometimes I'll have a little bit of, of nuts in, in a meal and just like a little sprinkle, even though I know like hmm. I'm not really supposed to have them because I know that the quantity is going to make a difference, first yeah. of all. And also maybe that specific day I'm not going anywhere. I know that I, if I feel bad, I can just lie down. You know, there's mm -hmm. all these different decisions that go into it, but that's something that I can choose to do if it feels worth it for me. You yeah. Know? Well, because we are we are whole beings. We're not just our bodies. Yeah. We're we're our bodies and our, you know, whatever you want to call the ephemeral essence <laughs> of the self. Um, and sometimes the joy is worth it. You know, like yeah. I have always, even in my like worst flares, if it's the holidays and we have like panettone, I'm gonna eat panettone, even if it's gonna give me a stomach ache or a headache, because yeah. it's like no this is important to me. And I think that's kind of one of the really important things that I don't see in diet culture, or wellness culture at all, is making room for joy and yeah. saying, you know what, like you are a grown up or like you are an autonomous being because you don't have to be a grown up for this. And, and you actually get to make the decision for yourself. Yeah. Between, you know, the joy and the tummy ache. Like that is that is math you get to do for yourself because you're the one who suffers the consequence. Like, like that's every lactose intolerant person that has <laughs> existed. It's like, well, yeah. I'm lactose intolerant, but Yeah. And like in some cases, you know, I have a lot of family members with celiac disease. I do not have celiac disease. I've been tested for it. If you have celiac disease, like inhaling don't. some flour yeah, in the it. air yeah. can make you feel like you're dying so yeah. like that is probably that is going to be different calculus yep. from yep. like me who might get a headache or some indigestion right yep. that's and like yeah it's personal it's 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 personal and it's also your choice yeah and like cheryl on tiktok doesn't get to do that math for you I love how we've just been naming anonymous <laughs> I've been making the names up because I don't actually spend a lot of time surprisingly oh, no, enough you've been one of them yeah shockingly we've curated our social media so we don't have to run into this constantly. Yeah. but okay but there was one other thing that came to mind while you were talking about how people talk about food as like poison or toxins or whatever yep. and that always gets me so hard because I grew up in what we call an almond household in the 90s like oh you're hungry have a handful of almonds like that's that's the house I grew up in like we had like we grew vegetables in our garden we ate very little meat we had no quote-unquote processed food like nothing in a wrapper it was an ingredients household yeah if you were hungry you had a piece of fruit or a handful of nuts I didn't have we didn't celebrate Halloween I didn't have Halloween candy I like maybe got some chocolate from my grandparents at Easter I was like as eight as crunchy as they come as a kid and I have so much chronic illness and pain yeah <laughs> um and also you know I don't think it's unrelated to me having anorexia <laughs> No, there might be some dots we can connect there yeah so it's just like it's just like this this the math doesn't math. No, no, it's true. And like these things can happen to anyone. I think people don't really necessarily realize and they think, you know, it's it's the reverse too. People not only think that they can cure disease, 
by by eating well, but they think, well, if I just do everything right, I won't get sick at all. Yeah. Right? Like that's that's the the belief. And honestly, like there's something very, very equalizing about chronic illness. Like yeah. obviously there are factors that that might make you more or less likely to develop something. But for example, I have to get drug infusions every four weeks. I have to go to a clinic. And it's really interesting walking in there because it is the most diverse assortment of people. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll be sitting next to, you know, like a nine-year-old boy on on my right side and like a, a grandmother mm-hmm. on my left. And, and then there's just, you know, me, a late 20s, like young professional kind of chilling in the middle. It's It's just something that happens. Our bodies are amazing and they are also chaotic and they're gonna do what they're gonna do right like and that's that's cool thing that's Mm -hmm. an interesting thing but it also just means that sometimes they're just going to act up and I think autoimmune diseases especially are just Mm -hmm. like it's like you know Twitter will say like you know making up a guy and getting mad at him like that's literally an autoimmune disease oh my god it is you didn't have to get mad we were just hanging out but now that is the best description of chronic illness of of autoimmune conditions i have ever heard listen i have to laugh about it because it's so ridiculous to have a body that is so angry at itself it's just making up a guy Uh, this virus over here imagine if there was a virus over here I'm so angry about it. Like, buddy, you know how how we could calm down about it is by just calming down. And there's nothing to be mad about. Or eating, you know, an actual ton of turmeric. Oh, yeah. Just just dump it in my mouth. Just from a truckload, just, just shovel it in there. I'm just thinking about, like, how large the surface area of the colon is and how actually comical it is how to think. turmeric you <laughs> What is it like a football field or something, something when you unroll yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. Oh dear. Oh. And like, yes, people. I know that's not how dosage works. I'm just enjoying the imagery. Let the me imagery have this. Is, is graphic and hilarious. <laughs> oh well, there is so much more we could talk about, and we might just have to do this again to talk about. Might have to do a part two. Yeah, we might have to do a part two, Mallory. It was. So such a pleasure to have you thank you for joining us absolutely thank you for having me i'm so glad that we we both just we love this stuff and yes i would be very happy to come back and talk about it more amazing same time next week (laughs) um now before we go is there anything you want to plug i know you have a book that came out recently you want to tell people about it yeah so basically i i recently put out a I guess it's not a young adult novel. It's like a new adult novel, if that's Mm -hmm. like a a term that people know. Coming of age sort of story. So it's called Julie Bean. And the the link is on like my socials, um, which I feel like we could probably link to. Yeah, we'll link those. Perfect. Yeah. Besides that, uh, you could find me on on Twitter. I, I post semi-regularly on there about various things. I can't promise any quality control, um, but you're, you're very welcome to join me over there. Fantastic. So that's Julie Bean. Look it up. Buy it. Thanks so much for listening to No Bad Food. Want to join in the conversation? Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at NoBadFoodPod and individually at Tefferbear and at Tom Zalatni. 
If you liked this episode and want to help us make the show even better, head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod and donate. For as little as $1 a month, you'll be joining the ranks of fine folks like Gab, Thomas, Anne, Erica, Carlea, Andrew, Chantal, David, Mallory, and Sarah. Our patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show. If that's exciting for you, head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod and make it happen. We also have merch. You can hit the merch link in the description to get all sorts of great stuff from our friends over at Podcavern. And of course, you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this with a friend. Our theme music is by Zach, not a toxin, Ingalls, and our cover art is by David, mad at a guy, Flam. You can find links for both of them in the description of this episode. And last but not least, this show was produced by me, Tevra Jemian, and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Podcavern Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at www.podcavern.com. You understand. Just takes a little time, it takes a little time, it takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind, we'll take it slow this time. No Bad Food is a proud member of the Podcavern Network. For more great shows like this one, head to podcavern.com. Report. Set collection. Discrepancy straight-lined, Moth said. Meet Moth. Moth travels everywhere and every when in search of often deadly discrepancies and tries to make sense of the briefs she gets from collection. There were holes in the brief, you know. I don't like that. The Moth Collection Podcast. It's science fiction with a little bit of horror. It's weird and funny and romantic, and there won't be another season. 14 episodes, and that's it, people. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by Podcavern.